This is Jennifer Hale, and you're listening to the Five-ish Fangirls Podcast. And, um, I should go. We continue all the way to episode 408 of the Five Ish Fangirls podcast, and it's time to put those education hats back on. We are rocking our way to 1957. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Five Ish Fangirls podcast. So glad you joined us. Let's start off like a work with a virtual table and see who joined us this week. This is Whitney Belvedere. This is Chrissy in Salt Lake City. This is Holly from Wisconsin. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. I had to strap myself to the chair to make sure I didn't blow away today. <laughs> yes. If you are in the path of crazy weather, be safe out there. Yeah. You know, we have some pretty blizzardy snow last week here so yeah they finally dug I mean, themselves out of it but wait yeah mother nature needs to take a chill pill yeah <laughs> like right? come on it's supposed to be spring all the all the snow on my animal crossing island melted and, I yeah. my window <laughs> and i'm like there's piles of snow <laughs> outside this doesn't work yeah well, considering it snowed in Los Angeles the other day, yeah. so and Los Angeles had blizzard warnings. Yeah, yeah. how many and years? The entire city was like, "What the hell is this?" I think a lot. I think I saw like last time they'd had like a that type of weather was like nineteen, like eighty nine or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, yep. I'm I'm reminded of that of of that uh, with the. Uh, James Franco saying first time. <laughs> but yes. Yes. Winter old man winter is getting is making one more round before we finally get our spring yeah. spring weather. So, we don't yeah. need the continual and another thing. And another thing. Another thing. We and got it. Thing. We mm-hmm. got it. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes it feels more like uh, that. Uh, you guys seen that that one uh, video went viral a few years ago. The the little boy he's like standing in his kitchen. He's arguing with his mother. But he's he's calling her by her first name. He's like Linda, Linda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it feels like sometimes. So. Oh, but that, but but you can't, you can't really, you can't really take a, a winter storm out by the woodshed and say, "What did you say to me? Mm-hmm. Right? What did yeah. you call me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or stew away from a Family Guy, mummy, 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 mummy. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> like, please stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's just been so mean because it was really nice. Like, like last week for me, it was. In the sixties, and now it's snowing. Like seriously, mm-hmm. yep, exactly. It is serious. <laughs> no, same serious. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> nice one. Got the reference. 
Anyway, let's do the news. Not a whole lot, although the folks over at PopCon have been teasing us all weekend that they were going to make a marvelous guest announcement today, <laughs> and they did. And he's Mary Poppins, y'all. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're going to have a nice little Ravager reunion. Uh-huh. Yandu and Cracklin. So, yep. Should be a good time. Good times are great old days at Indie Popcon. So, oh, yep. And I've I've seen like pictures and video and stuff of Michael Rooker at other conventions, and he looks like he is a lot of fun. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yes, he was in Salt Lake some years ago, and and uh, yeah, he he's a he's a good time. So, if you can get into that panel, I recommend it. Sounds like a plan. Oh. Um, and then really beyond that, we got the the SAG Awards were uh-huh. yesterday. Yep. And uh, this is the last major award ceremony before the Academy Awards. So now we are all <laughs> now yeah. uh, scrambling to make our picks. And I was so. just like, oh boy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not really ever anything too like like oh my goodness what I will say, best supporting actress I think is going to be neck and neck between Jamie Lee Curtis and Angela Bassett. I think yeah, I think Jamie so. Lee Curtis is starting to gain some uh, some some steam and gain so, some traction. Yeah, yeah, but we shall. We shall see, see in a couple of weeks, but yep. uh, but yeah, now that we have uh, that under our belts, our uh, competition is in the home stretch. <laughs> our friendly competitions in the home stretch, yes. Yep. <laughs> there comes the fun part: making decisions. Oh yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, I did. But I did earlier. I I had to hand write. Because just looking at the screen, things just start to like sure. blend together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I hand wrote out every category and all the nominees, and then wrote down next each one what they had won up wow. to this point <laughs> to see. Because this is this is what happened the year Parasite won. Oh, that's right. Parasite mm-hmm. going into like the Oscars had won a crap ton of awards all over the place and not just for like best foreign language film but in mm-hmm. significant categories and part of my brain was like this probably means something this is important uh-huh. thank you third encounters uh close encounters um, yeah but that's not what we went with yep. <laughs> and then that's oh. how we ended up having to watch lords of arabia so yep. uh, <laughs> which which actually led to this series that we're doing so yeah yeah in a way so. blessing and a but, curse maybe. <laughs> it meant i did not have to watch lawrence of arabia 
all the way through again for gold standard. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, yeah. So. We'll find out in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. So. I don't even we'll know find, what We'll find out what the other team picked. Right, uh, yeah. This time next week, but. And we will. I don't even our... know what crappy movie I would, I would put forward. To oh, we this. still have a list. Me either. Okay. Yeah, we have and a I list. Was like, last year, so... last year I had, I had one that's like, oh yes, this one. And this yeah. year I'm like, I don't even know what's out there that's that's yeah. dumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we have to win. Right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And yeah. then second of all, whichever of us individually wins, we'll get to pick the bad film. So. Right. <laughs> And then we have to take all the other team members on the opposing team into account as mm-hmm. well. True enough. Yeah. I mean, this is this is not it's it's not it's not an easy it's not an easy game to set up, but it's fun. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, we're trying to brainstorm like tiebreaker options and then sean was like uh why don't we just do this instead i'm like okay yeah that is simpler and that would work too so (laughs) you're like like, like, but they've they've been picking he seems like he's been you know organizing oscar picking competitions for a good number of years so i'm like i bounce your friend yeah but still, I was like super overthinking it. And he's like, why don't we just do this? And it accomplished the same thing. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. It's like, we don't need to look at strength of schedule. Work we smarter, just... not harder. Harder, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun thing. So there is a, that and uh of course, by the time this goes up and you're listening to it, we'll be in a new month, but you're yep. just going to have to wait until next episode to, for book club updates. So, And I think I have a sneaky suspicion what the book club choice is going to be. Uh, yeah. Go back a couple of episodes and uh, listen to feedback. <laughs> listen to our take. Yeah. Not that I'm showing my hand. <clears throat> Spoilers, sweetie. Yep. Uh, so that's really it for the news and our feedback. We just have a little bit of feedback. Quick little note from Shalane asking a question saying, have you girls done an episode on David Bowie and or planning on talking about David Bowie albums or planning on talking about any other singers that have passed, which uh, we have not dedicated a episode just to david bowie we did obviously we talked about when he passed right was a, and we talked about labyrinth but yeah, yeah and we've right. talked about but I, I will say i would still think we probably need to give at least you know maybe not album specific but david bowie his own episode yes. at some point because yeah i mean i was a i was a fan of his and loved labyrinth you know so like when he passed i was like oh this really sucks but since his passing 
I've got to know way more of his work, not just his music, but like other acting things because he did do other things besides Labyrinth. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen several of the other movies that he was in in his lifetime. So it's like, I know way more about him now and I am a bigger fan now mm-hmm. than when he passed. So yeah, yeah, I would certainly like to give oh yeah you know, the Ziggy Stardust his 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 moment yes uh his own episode so yeah that that'll happen right at there some with point. you Rachel so let's yeah, see who we get to sooner David Bowie or Ringo uh <laughs> hmm. yeah well because when she said that and I was like no we've talked about David Bowie and I was like no wait we talked about it we talked about him when he passed away and we talked yep. about Labyrinth but not him specifically like, oh okay yeah you're right so, yep. It it all kind of blends together at some point. Yeah. It's you like we touched upon him. Episodes, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, we did a, a decent overview when when he passed mm-hmm. away, but yes. because that was like the the week or whatever that like half of Hollywood died or whatever. Um, yeah. Like oh, Alan yeah. Rickman. And, yeah, because yeah, yeah, so, it so it's like yeah, we had to, okay. that episode, we had to give several people <laughs> a moment. Yeah, that was the 10 o'clock news one, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes that was that was 10 o'clock news butted in and said, no one can be happy. Yeah. There is no laughing in baseball. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, we will... Uh, yeah, we'll definitely give give David mm. Bowie uh, his, his moment in the sun and um, other artists and albums at, at some point. So it's like, yeah, um, there's a lot out there. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> uh, our our list for of. show topics is continually growing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we're, done, we're up to 408. And you'd think yes. at some point we're like, oh, we're running out of things to talk about. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. No, we don't. Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. We'll get there. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's all, that's all Shalane's feedback. So <laughs> thank you, Shalane. Yeah. Well, all right. Wow. Speaking of history and things from the past, we're finally getting back to our pop culture history lesson, courtesy uh, Billy Joel. We're slowly getting to the end of the 1950s, uh, <laughs> which is where this entire song starts. So we're almost in the first decade. Mm-hmm. We're getting there. <laughs> Only three more to go after that uh thereabouts uh so yeah so 1957 um and we start with little rock Rock. which is a reference to the little rock nine um which they were a group of nine african-american students in little rock arkansas that were the first to be um admitted (laughs) i use that term very loosely uh technically 
they were admitted and enrolled in what used to be a all-white school. So this is obviously segregation. I mean, we talked about the bus boycotts and all that fairly recently. So we are really, really within like the civil rights movement at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really picking up steam and it's not, it's not going smoothly by no. any means. Uh, and, and, and this one is won't be for a while yeah yeah well this this is this instance in particular you i mean and, and it kind of mentions it here is the governor of arkansas at the time orville balbus yeah anyway yeah. which uh, there's an ep- was, <laughs> they covered this in an episode of drunk history um um, and, is, and, and, and his name gets butchered so many times and it's totally yeah. on purpose because he was yeah. an ass so yeah i was gonna say i was gonna say rat bastard is is probably the kindest thing we could say and not you know <laughs> drop the f-bomb because oh gosh he was and and really mm-hmm. all it was uh, you know his his motivation uh was getting, getting reelected uh, well getting reelected and like you know go like like going thinking he had to go toe to toe with with President Eisenhower, yeah. Because those two did not like each other at all. And anytime, and I, I was having this conversation about another topic earlier today. It doesn't matter what it was, but basically, politicians do not do anything unless it benefits them in some way or benefits their friends. So they mm-hmm. are never going to do anything um, because you know they believe in it or because. It's the right thing problem. to do. It's the right thing to do, or because you know this, this is a problem that needs to be fixed. You know, they just, or, you know, whatever. They, they're never going to do that because oh, you know, we've 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 ignored this long enough, and now we need to fix it. No, they always do something because they want to get in in the press. They want to, you know, be able to point point at a thing and say, "Look what I did! You should reelect me," and and all that other crap. And you know, he's yeah, he was. He was a rancid piece of shit. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And I know my my little sister is listening to me and hearing me swear, but gosh dang it, he this 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 asshole deserves all the swears. Yeah. So Yeah, because this yeah. was this was I mean, literally the you know, the Montgomery bus boycott was the year before this mm-hmm. took place. So um and the this whole whole thing kicked off because in 1954 the u.s supreme court issued brown versus the board of education which Mm -hmm. determined that laws establishing segregation of schools is unconstitutional separate is not equal Mm -hmm. because it was found that the you know the in a lot of places the 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 uh, schools but, where the yeah. the African American students were were not getting the same education. <laughs> yeah, you know? well, and it's not just schools. I mean, there's a there's a picture um, of a, a of a an African American man, you know, drinking from a a, a water fountain that I mm-hmm. that I remember seeing, and like the water fountain that he's using is this tiny little dinky thing that hasn't doesn't look like it's had any kind of maintenance or any kind of you know, upkeep, and then there's the one for the whites on the, the right next to it, and it's like this nice, you know, clean-looking thing, and you know, you you you'd be totally okay with anyone be okay drinking it, but he can't use it because because of the color of his skin, and it's just mm-hmm. kind of like, 
Yeah, that one. I mean, that that. I mean, there's a lot of images from this time period that you could pull up and be like, yeah, this 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 pretty well mm-hmm. um, sums it up. But yeah, that one. I, I think I I used a lot in when I was doing political writing, just because there were a lot of of uh, situations where it's like, hey, remember this back in the fifties? Yeah, you mm-hmm. people are trying to do this again, and it ain't cool. And mm-hmm. stop stop acting like it is. Stop acting mm-hmm. like like this is something that is is acceptable and you know and and, and even desirable in in our society. So I, I, I pulled that, I pulled that picture a lot and I actually got a lot of people pissed at me because they're like, how dare you compare this? And I'm like, I absolutely dare. So frick you. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so Little Rock and, and there are, and, um, is it Ruby Bridges? Is that, that's yeah, Ruby Bridges. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there was, there's been several movies of this, of this situation that's been made throughout yeah. the years and one Ru- actually Ruby Ru- yeah Ruby Bridges comes to Indianapolis every once in a while to speak um because at the Children's Museum oh okay. they had a section I don't know if they still do they probably do um mm-hmm. of children that have made a difference throughout history you know kind of showing like mm-hmm. hey just because you're a little kid doesn't mean you can't make a difference in the world and it's got of course Anne Frank Oh, is yeah. one of them. Ruby Bridges is another, and then Ryan White, who was from Indiana, is mm-hmm. the the third. So, but yeah, Ruby Bridges comes to Indy every now and then to speak at the the Children's Museum, uh, to speak with uh, kids. So, um, back when my mom was a limo driver, she actually drove Ruby once. <laughs> so, oh, oh cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, obviously, segregation, Jim Crow laws, an issue all over the place. But Brown versus Board of Education was specifically for public schools, you know, from high school on down. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Was this particular ruling, and um, so they're like, you know, all public schools in the united states need to 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 desegregate um and the the naacp the national association for the advancement of colored people um you know went and started trying to register black students at cities especially throughout the south um and um in little rock arkansas their school board agreed to comply with the supreme like it's the supreme court who we could argue with them right absolutely um so the superintendent created a plan of of integration submitted it and the school board unanimously approved um and that was in 1955 so a year after the supreme court's ruling um and they're like absolutely we will start working on this and we'll mm-hmm. start you know it, we'll start implementing it in the 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 school year of 1957 they're like great um so the NAACP um found nine black students and selected them based on you know good grades good attendance you know good you know being good upstanding citizens mm-hmm. good academics uh, all that exactly um and they're like we're gonna 
in you know sign you up for this new high school which was little rock central high um and um the school year was set to begin september 4th 1957 and the governor was like hell no and called up the Arkansas National Guard to quote unquote preserve the peace. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, preserved see what, it yeah. so preserved it so well that the, the 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 nine students couldn't even get in the damn building. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's I mean I'm like, okay, dude, the local like the local school board is complying with this. They've got it right. all set up, everything's fine. Why the Blankety blank bleep. Blankety blank blank, blank blank You have to come stick your nose in it. And it 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 really is that he just he he wanted to I mean you know, he he had all his fancy words, his fancy political double speak and everything, but really mm-hmm. he just he was just mad that you know that this He was, was just being a big old jerk. Yeah. <laughs> According to him, it the uh the um the students, the, the the black students, could not enter the school because there was a imminent danger of tumult, riot, and breach of peace. And you know like, what happens yeah, with the, the only people rioting and breaching the peace that needed to be controlled by the the national guard is all the white people with the signs yelling and screaming at these nine kids. These are kids. I mean, yes, they're high schoolers. <laughs> But they're still children, yeah. Just trying to get an education, and you like if you see the pictures. I mean, they're obviously their minds. Yeah, like you see the you know you see the Little Rock Nine, and they're like trying to be stoic face and not show that they're probably scared out of their freaking mind for their for their well being. And then you have these just this mob of people. Who the some of them the looks on their faces, it's just like, what in the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, I mean a like, lot it, of it a lot of it is like wrap my why? brain around. Why? Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. I mean, anytime there's a like a mob of any kind, it's like, how do you motivate people to show up? And a lot of the time, again, it is politically motivated and there's always been organizations who are just like hey show up here and cause trouble because mm-hmm. you know where the where the school board you know, where the superintendent of the school board or you know the locality is saying okay yes we're going to comply with the law and we're going to do this and it's going to be you know we're you know we're, we're going to do it and yeah there's going to be people who are miffed about it and people who are going to you know get all upset but there's always just some just some underlying thing of somebody organizes all this somebody you know, brings in the, the poster board and the placards and everything just to cause trouble. And I kind of am like, okay, this is one school in one state that where this happened. And, and I'm sure there were other there were other instances on this, don't get me wrong. But it's like, why did this one get all the attention and why did all this? And really, it's like, it just seems, I don't want to use the word staged because that's not the right word, but just the way that it went down, it's like somebody wanted something bad to happen here for, mm-hmm. for whatever reason and I, and I know little rock is the capital of arkansas 
if anybody was hoping anything would happen, I put my money on the governor. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. I, mean, I would too. I would. I. I mean, I don't know if I'd bet the farm, but pretty damn close. I would think about it. But um, right. But it's it's all this like. I mean, nothing ever changes in politics. But you know, politicians, you know, thrive on crisis. They, you know, they, they need to, like, you know, get something done right away, and that's how they get. That's how they keep their power. That's how they get their power, and that's how they get in the public mindset. And this isn't like me being a conspiracy tinfoil hat, you know, no. nut job. This is like legitimately how it all works. Mm-hmm. And, and they and they love causing study. chaos and disorder. Too. Yes, because because if there's chaos, then oh well, you still need us because we because we're the ones who are going to fix things. And we're gonna keep. Or you you need to keep electing us because we're the only ones that are gonna fix it. And they never do. If anything, they make it worse. And that's why we or call Governor here with this chaos. Of, so of, you can't some shit rat bastard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got the chaos here with this hand, so you don't see what the left hand's doing over here to cause more problems. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So if there's ever something that like just kind of seems to spring out of nowhere. You know, in the news or or wherever, you know, follow the money, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If if all my years of studying, or you know, not even really studying, but just watching politics and listening to politicians and studying history has taught me, yeah, none of nothing happens, nothing happens by accident. And it's like, and you know, just these. I mean, kudos. I I have the utmost respect for the for these nine students who just went in and they were you know basically used as you know pawns in this whatever mm-hmm. to to for this this governor and, and whoever else uh, but you know just they 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 you know kept their they held their heads up high they walked in and they they did everything they possibly could do under the circumstances and mm-hmm. just gosh, i just i can't imagine and mm-hmm. i Hope I never have to, but oh, geez, it's like, really, guys, really, it's like this is why nobody likes you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is why nobody likes elected officials in the government because you just come in and you ruin everything. It's like, it's like, go away, just, just yeah, go somewhere else, please. <laughs> yeah, stop bugging us. Stop bugging people. Yeah. Take a long vacation, please, and thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is this is something I I did not realize until um you know, researching this because I am familiar with like these iconic images of mm-hmm. you know them trying to walk into the building and crowds with the signs and people yelling and and all this stuff that was on the first day of school fourth of September nineteen fifty seven. They never made it into the school that day. They had to try again several weeks later after the president intervened. Yep. Because he, President Eisenhower, Dwight Eisenhower, was all like, what? This is not, you know, the Supreme Court made this ruling. They're the, they're the, the, they're the top of the chain when it comes to courts like what they say goes yeah and you do not go like, against the ruling you're, like you're not yeah. helping anything by doing all of the, all of this and 
he condemned you know he condemned the governor and and all sorts of things he tried to call the governor for a meeting and i don't know how that went i guess not very well um so eventually um the mayor of little rock <laughs> stepped in he's like well the governor's not doing shit so <clears throat> uh so eisenhower um ended up um issuing an executive order which mobilized the uh, 101st airborne division of the army yeah and federalized the entire arkansas national guard making them under his control and no longer yep. governors so that it was like a thousand members of the airborne and then like said so the the arkansas national guard was like ten thousand. so mm -hmm. so yeah a couple weeks a couple weeks later um on september 23rd um they they tried again and were able to get into the school and you know from there it was not sunshine and rainbows is is the thing oh, no. it's like even once even once people figured out that that's like okay well we can't stop them from getting in but once they're in there some of the dickheads you know racist students and teachers i'm sure faculty were all like well we're just gonna give them, make their time in here a living hell and you know verbally abused them and physically abused them one of the students had acid thrown into her eyes um you oh. know they got the they tried to burn her um uh, burn her uh by dropping pieces of flaming paper on her once they trapped her into a stall in the girl's bathroom so it's like yeah it's like so even once they got in it was not yeah. it, well, was not, like it was not it was not it was it was not fun and then oh. you know stupid governor you know fart face um decided that you know the, he could work around it possibly if he closed the public schools and then could hire out those buildings for private schools where they were because they're private they're not federally funded and therefore don't necessarily have to follow the law of the land or in his weird reasoning mm -hmm. and essentially the schools got closed so all these students both the the, the nine and everyone else lost a year of school while all this humble baloo was going on he was not very successful at turning the, the public schools into private schools and eventually it, it you know they had to open the schools back up and let them go back mm -hmm. to <laughs> going back to being a yeah. public school and let them do their yeah. thing but like in the process of all this you know just the, the you know he, he caused the you know all of the students to lose mm -hmm. a perfectly good year of education and you know he it just handled just, it yeah just and, and you know we know we all see what happens when when kids lose a year of school because we basically yeah uh, witnessed that not too long ago so it's kind of like 
like, thanks, Satan. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I was going to go back to, like, you were talking about how, you know, the abuse they took at the hands of the students and the teachers. It's like, once you see, it's like mob, mobs kind of breed themselves. It's like, once you see a few people acting like dickheads in public and not being, you know, you know, challenged on it, it kind of, it emboldens other people who might not necessarily would have done that, but because it's like, oh, hey, everyone else is doing it, so I guess I should just do it too, so it just kind of snowballs from there, and especially kids, teenagers, like, I, I don't want to go too far into this, but I, I, there was a situation when I was a kid that happened in my, uh, in my town, and and it was with my family, and there was some stuff written in the newspaper, and I was, I was like in middle school at the time, and, you know, because, you know, it was written in the newspaper, and parents were talking about it, and all this stuff, that gave the kids permission to be absolute jerks to me about it, even though they mm -hmm. had no idea why they were doing it, or, you know, what, what the real situation was, or what was going on, all they did was, they heard their parents talking smack about my family, and my parents, and they're like, oh, well, I guess we can do that to you because my par my parents, who, you know, you should follow and you follow their example and they're the adults in the room, I guess it's okay. So, you know, so you see all these, you know, all these other people and, you know, their governors saying all this crap and, and doing all this crap. And it's like, okay. And, you know, maybe they don't quite get what's going on or they don't understand, but it's like, this is the cool thing to do because the news, the governor said so. Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, ah, uh, jeez. And it's just, it's human nature to be, to be that way and to do those kinds of things. But it's just kind of like, how about, how about you, how about you give in to, to, how about you give in to the temptation to not be a jackass? Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's asking mm -hmm. way too much. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good news is, is eventually, Mm -hmm. the kids did get their education and one of the boys uh, when he graduated he was the first african-american student to graduate from that school um which was pretty darn cool he could have that you know little feather in his cap like yeah i was the first not only did i graduate high school which sometimes in itself is you know <laughs> an accomplishment for some for some people especially from from under uh you know uh underprivileged uh groups um so um but yeah and i, I mean they're they're the the nine i believe most of them if not all of them are still alive and some of them have written books and um they've turned um like parts of the 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 area where the school the, the school building still stands um but it's more of a historical uh location now mm -hmm. um and there there's like a you know uh like a museum and stuff and they they do a lot of uh do work, you know, trying to uh, continue to make sure that the uh, the cause <laughs> doesn't get forgotten because unfortunately it's it's still an issue. Um, uh, they were all they all appeared on Oprah in '96, 
um, and actually came face to face with some of the people that had tormented them uh, back in 57, um, which you can find that on YouTube. It's awkward. I, you know. That awkward for them like... I, I i i can't i i can't imagine being put in that position of like you know 40 years that, that after seems, being that seems a little weird to me it's tormented like, hey, to be like here hey, put, put yourself on national put... tv and be like yeah i yelled at you and here. called you all sorts of horrible nasty names do you forgive me <laughs> yeah it's like Ugh. here this is the, like this picture is in textbooks all over the country and this is me screaming my guts out at you or you know or, or you know the, the show's producers like contacting these people say hey you were you were you were a you were a right piece of crap to these people do you want to come on tv and, mm -hmm. and talk to them and i'm like mm -hmm. uh I mean, if it had been me and like my face was, was in those pictures doing that i'd have been like I want to forget this ever happened, and don't ever contact me again, please, and thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But right. then again... Change your uh, name, change your hair. Yeah. No, we not good. That, that person, <laughs> that person's dead and gone. Like, nope. Uh, don't exist uh, that anymore. one doesn't exist anymore. I don't know who you're talking about. Go. Yep. yep. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a bad deal all the way around. Although, yes... You know, good things eventually came of it, mm -hmm. but I—I uh, I mean, I don't. I—I I mean, I hate—I hate reading about it just because it's like, really, guys? Like, why? Why did this have to be a thing? Mm -hmm. And just, just all the bad actors and, just, uh, and everything that went on. But at the same time, I'm like, it kind of felt like these things were necessary just to kind of get all of the bad bad blood i guess out of out of the system yeah. i don't know i don't know but i mean i hate that it was necessary on a certain level but at the same time if that's what it had to if that's if that's what it took well i mean then i guess that's what it took yeah no it, it, it what happened happened and the, the you know just like with a lot of the you know stuff that we're talking about because of you know of doing this this particular series it gives us an opportunity mm -hmm. to to look back and remind ourselves of what happened and you mm -hmm. know take stock compared to where we are now and be yeah. like and kind of recognize yes we have actually made progress and we have yeah. come a long way yeah, and I mean, I I remember, I do remember talking about this when I was in elementary school. Like, you know, with, you know Martin Luther King and the whole civil rights movement and all this stuff. It's kind of like, hey, yeah, we've actually done pretty good. So, mm -hmm. you know, don't don't think that that you that you haven't made any kind of difference. Mm -hmm. And you know, just be good to people. Mm hmm. Uh, quote a uh, certain movie that we'll be uh, reviewing next week. It's never too late to not be a dick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, moving on uh, <laughs> to. Uh, we never have to say that any super deformed super villains. <laughs> yeah. 
Moving on to uh, someone from, and I'm saying this with the most amount of sarcasm ever, our favorite country in the world, Russia. Um, Russia, Russia. Yeah. Uh, Boris Pasternak. Pasternak. Which you may not know his name, but you probably know his one and only novel. Because he actually, he's got a lot of literary works under his belt, but it was a lot of poetry and other other things. But like his most well-known novel is Dr. Zhivago. Yes. Which I have not yeah. read and really have no desire to. And I've never seen any of the adaptations and have no desire to. This is the funny thing about Russia, I will say this, is... Their culture, like you know, the 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 you know their literature, their music, you know, ballet is a big thing, and mm -hmm. some of that is there. They come up with some of the most gorgeous and like starkly beautiful things. Just just uh, uh, you know, as far as art goes, their politics are garbage. But yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> I just I like when I look at these, you know, the the, the people, and I don't, and I, like you said, I'm. I don't know that much about Dr. Zhivago other than it's kind of, you know, considered sort of a, like a romance, not in like, you know, in the grocery not like story. Not the level. Fabio cover romance. Not the Fabio covers, but like romantic, like a romantic, a, a, a historic romantic. Yeah. Yeah, like a romantic. It's a historical side. epic that's got romance yeah. thrown into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of gone with the windish i suppose very uh, much because it is it yeah. is set during a a time period of 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 turmoil in russia yeah. so <laughs> yeah and it is it is it, very, it, it, you know, it is kind of the the russian equivalent of gone with the wind yeah it's very bleak um you know you can you can read a synopsis online or yeah. you know watch any any of the uh any of the adaptations the film adaptations but I don't know. There's just, there's just, and and with any Russian novelist, these things are huge. Not Russian novels are ginormous because mm -hmm. it's winter most of the year there, and that's all they really have to do, other than you know invade. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and and you know, generally be jerks to each other. Speaking of, um, but yeah, I just I don't know what it is about Russia, but they just. Their their literature and their art is just it's I kind of get in like this, you know, deeply sad mood and I just kind of like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna read about some of these things and just kind of enjoy the 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 aesthetic of it because it's you just kinda of get in that in that mood. It kinda of, it you know, it you know the ep Doctor Who episode Blink and she says, Sad is happy for deep people. That's what this <laughs> is. Basically. Yeah. Well, well. Um, so, uh, but uh, Boris Pasternak, um, and I'm going to try to pronounce his middle name, um, <laughs> was uh, a Russian, but he was Jewish. Um, and I guess uh, being creative literally ran in his veins because his father was a post-impressionist painter um, and rather well-known in his own right. And then his mother 
was a concert pianist. So they was just asking for a creative kid. Uh, I Pretty guess. much. Um, and, 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 you know, just to like name drop, but Tolstoy happened to be a really good family friend. Uh, so, yeah. His father did some artwork for Tolstoy. Um. So, uh, but uh, you know, of course, uh, growing up in in Russia in the the turn from the nineteenth to the twentieth century, um, was not necessarily easy. Um, well, this is a topic we have covered when we talked about Anastasia. Yes, <laughs> if you if you remember that the whole you know, yeah the, the yeah, Russian this... Revolution and all the craziness that went along exactly. with that exactly this is um, yeah this is this is this is uh, this is what well I mean the Russian Revolution was a, a as as a major plot point of the the novel uh, so um so he. He, he he did okay for himself um he first wanted to be a musician um and went to school in germany um his father wanted him to be a, a philosopher he wanted to study philosophy um and somehow that snowballed into he became a writer which is kind of all that rolled into one when you think of it I was gonna say philosopher writer, some kind of the same thing once you get down mm-hmm. to the nitty gritty of it. Yep, yep. Um so um he uh he uh was very moved by um romance uh early on in his life um he fell in love with his cousin they never did anything about it um they ended up being friends um for the the rest of their lives um the writing letters uh for like over 40 years <laughs> so um but uh but even in in his some of his writing it's it's you can see kind of the 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 author that he was going to be um and then he fell in love with uh this girl um who uh named Ida who her family was um owned the largest tea company in the world at the time so she was pretty well off and um they started a relationship and um he really wanted to marry her uh but they her family didn't like him and they essentially told her to turn him down and he did uh which gave him the heartbreak to write a, a poem called Marburg <laughs> Um, as you do when you uh, yep. heartbreak yeah yeah mm-hmm. um and then world war one broke out um which you know obviously in russia 
interesting time. Uh, he worked in a, a chemical factory <laughs> during World War One, um, which again helped him give him some material that he would use in Doctor Zhivago later. Uh, a lot of the characters in Doctor Zhivago are based on real people. Um, he just had to change the names. <laughs> you know, to avoid... was okay back, which was okay back. Yeah, yeah. To avoid getting into, well, I would say to avoid getting into trouble, to avoid getting into more trouble than the book is already going to get him into. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at this point. Um, I, mean, I mean, writing writing about, writing, you know, putting real people as characters in your book was like the least of his problems with this. Yeah. By the t- by the time the Russian government was like, ah, going through some of the other stuff, it's like, yeah, yeah. You need to sit like, down and have a little chit chat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he did end up marrying a woman, um, in um, nineteen twenty two, named uh, e, e, oh, I don't know how to pronounce. I don't know how to pronounce that. Evgenia. Evgenia, something like that. Yeah, Ev- um, Evgenia. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And then they had a son, um, and Evgenia. Um, yeah. After his mother, it was like, yeah. Don't ask um, me how I know how to pronounce Russian because I, really, <laughs> I don't know Russian. I just yeah. read about these things. Yeah, um, and uh, he was kind of getting. Um, a little disenchanted with the 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 communist party um yeah that that happened quite a bit and you didn't have to be like part of the ruling class to really to, to be pissed off about it because i mean things changed so fast and so dramatically that most people a lot of people were like hey what went no what no no, yeah, I was like, yeah, because yeah, because I mean, it's when we talked funny. about, yeah, when we talked about, well, I mean, we talked about Lenin and and oh, yeah. stuff in this, but even when we talked about Anastasia and when we talked about what was the actual history that was going on at the time, mm-hmm. and yeah, with the unrest of going from having a czar to uh, elected officials was a, kind of a hot mess. Uh, so. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. The, the czar wasn't the greatest, but it's like this. It, a lot of people were like, "This is not what we wanted. This is not what we asked for." And it was basically like, "Too bad. Suck it up. You're gonna, you, you, you're getting it anyway." Or you know, turn to the wall and we'll shoot you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. yeah. Um. So in, the, in yeah. So in the meantime, you know, he's still writing and writing poetry and and stuff. He ended up. Um, uh uh divorcing uh his his first wife um and marrying uh Z- Zenaida <laughs> uh, Z- yeah Zenaida Zenaida yeah that actually sounds she was the, she she oh, was well, married okay, at the, she was a, she was in the married herself at the time when they met so they had to both get divorced. okay yeah i'm looking at uh, her her first husband's yeah who who was russian so um, okay he was russian oh yeah. you get into those eastern european languages and i'm like okay is this russian is it ukrainian is it polish what the fuck is going on? 
Yeah. Sorry to our Russian, Ukrainian, and Polish listeners, because I I've tried to understand Cyrillic and all those languages, but it's just I'm trying. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then of course, if you know your basic Russian history, um, in uh the late 1930s, they had the Great Purge. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, Pasternak lost some friends in it, <laughs> which so, you know, I'm that sure really did nothing. Did nothing to, the, to, to the help. Government. Yeah, I'm sure that did nothing to help with his his disen, disenchantment with the, the 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 people in charge. Um, You're gonna love us, or we're gonna kill you. Kill all mm-hmm. your friends. Yeah, kill us now, right? Yeah, and then World War Two broke out, and we know how that went. Uh, <laughs> Um, and uh, somewhere in there, um, in the 1940s, he met this woman named Olga, who was a single mother, and um, uh, apparently she looked a lot like Ida. Um, and he immediately fell in love with her, and uh. But this time he did not get a divorce. Uh, but instead he and Olga had a affair that would last until Pasternak died in 1916. <laughs> so um, the dude was in love with love. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So um yeah, um it because like even once Zeneda found out um she uh when their son their younger son fell ill she made him promise to end the affair (laughs) while they stood by their boy's sick bed Uh, and he said he would of course that did not happen um uh, and then um Olga fell ill and apparently Zenaida found out about it found out where she was so she went over there and confronted her oh boy (laughs) so um apparently even after that it, it didn't stop anything um it apparently uh his his wife was like you know she's like i don't love him but i don't want my family to be broken (laughs) so it was like like that she was like trying to have her cake and eat it too or something i don't know uh is messy um which again i think uh helped uh feed the the themes that will end up being in dr shivago (laughs) um i read the synopsis so i have a basic idea of what it's about um so unfortunately olga ended up getting arrested by the kgb because at this point uh pasternak was on the government's radar as um you know whatever label you want to use uh an infidel a blasphemer whatever a traitor you know pick yeah pick your pick your words basically 
basically he was, he was not uh, on the he was not on the christmas card list no if 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 you looked at the kgb at, at the wrong way you were basically getting arrested yeah and, and probably honestly, shot honestly uh. yeah Honestly, I don't think you could spit without hitting someone who was on the KGB shit list in, yeah. at that time, because Stalin was a, he was like, you know, all, all the people who hate me, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Except, for the one, except for the ones that he let live. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, we, we've, we've discussed Stalin. Uh, yes, so. we have. Yes, we have. Uh. And, you know. Don't want to pass up a chance to call him an asshole. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh anyway. so yeah, Olga got arrested. Um took her took everything that she had that was connected to Pasternak. Um, which was a lot considering when they met, he was started uh fl- like lavishing her with gifts of writings and stuff. Um uh and she was, uh, in, she was taken to prison and interrogated, but she refused to speak. Um, although she was pregnant with Pastor and child and ended up miscarrying, um, because she ended up getting put in the gulag. Um, and uh, really, when she got locked up. Um, it really hit him really, really hard. Um, and, uh, kind of set him into this spiral that that eventually got him on the, on the, 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 the wagon to, to, to work on Dr. Shivago some more because this is the, this was a story that he'd been working on and off for a long time um since like the early 1900s um it, it was not fully completed until much later um so and then of course you know Stalin dies in 1953 um so um that got Olga out of the gulag, which is good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they picked up right where they left off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, he, uh, but uh, you know, in, in that time period, he fin- he finished Doctor Shivago in '55. Um, he submitted it in 56 to a russian uh literary magazine it was refused publication um due uh due to its rejection of socialist realism um because the zhivago yuri zhivago the main character uh shows more concern for the welfare of individual characters than for the progress of society uh so essentially word heaven forbid we give a damn about people and not i know know, mother mother russia yeah as opposed to the mother country um so yeah uh that if he you know he was already on the radar that just put him more on the radar 
and right. the 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 novel was quickly labeled as anti-soviet uh <laughs> which only made it, people want to read it more because you know it sure. only critis it only criticized things like stalinism and the great purge and the gulag yeah mm -hmm. well you know given given what it was he, a work uh, of fiction uh yeah yes like we made it all up. It's not real. Nobody's gonna get ideas from this. Not no. So, by a stroke of luck, the Italian Communist Party <laughs> and a journalist by the name of Sergio D'Angelo to work in the Soviet Union. <laughs> and one does. Yeah, but apparently because he was also communist. <laughs> Uh, and being a journalist, uh, that got him into a lot of places that other people could not necessarily get into. And, um, he was there to find new works of Soviet literature that could be appealing to Western audiences. Just happened to learn about this book called Dr. Shivago. So immediately he's on the next train or whatever to where... Pasternak is and was like, dude, I know you had not been able to get this thing published. And I would be happy to 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 do it with my company in Italy. And Pasternak was like, okay. So he brought the manuscript to D'Angelo and said, You're hereby invited to watch me face the firing squad. <laughs> nice yeah okay yeah um because uh since, since the 1920s no soviet author had attempted any type of dealing with western publishers um and uh but pasternak because this guy even though he's italian he's so communist thought that it might give him an edge it might even force the soviets to publish the no novel in russia <laughs> funnily enough his wife and his mistress this is the one thing they could agree upon he was out of his freaking mind to try to attempt this <laughs> it's like we can't it's see just... each other but uh we're gonna agree with with this dear you're gonna do you 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 attempt to to have this 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 book published you're out of your freaking mind you're gonna die man yeah I mean, yeah Stalin is dead and Khrushchev is less bad but he's still not the greatest but yeah uh maybe not but but he's just yeah. like yeah like I'm probably dead anyway so let's just publish <laughs> this thing and get it over with pretty much pastor Zach was like nope I'm doing it. Um, and uh, it was successful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, they, 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 well, they, uh, you know, they took the, the, the manuscript to Italy. Um, they even announced that we were publishing it. Uh, the Soviets tried to threaten them, and the publishing company was like, you know, um, <laughs> like, you're not good communist. Mm hmm. And he's um, like, eh, who 
doesn't care. The, at one point, the Soviet government forced Pasternak to send cables to the publishing company telling them to withdraw the manuscript. But on the side, he was sending them letters telling them to ignore the telegrams. Like, like <laughs> if you get any telegrams from me that say cancel, just ignore those. Those um, were sent under duress. Yep. Yep. Um, not me. Yep. So between the Soviets' campaign against the novel, the Italians backing it and publishing it, and with support from the CIA, who purchased hundreds of copies of the book. <laughs> because because if there's one thing that is going to just is going to encourage people to read something, it's the Soviets saying, No, don't read this. He's bad he's bad. No yeah. read, no read. And the CIA is like, Ooh, what's in here? Yeah. Exactly. I don't know how to read this. Put this on every high school high school required reading list. This is awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when it was released in November of 1957, shit, immediately, exactly what the Soviets did not want to happen. Word, <laughs> word to the wise: If there's ever yeah. a book that you do that, that that you want people to read, tell everyone that you're banning it, or that you don't yeah. want anyone to read it. So mm -hmm. if, if you really don't want them to read, you are better off ignoring it and not talking about right. it at all. And, and I don't say like, anything. Don't say anything. It's like, come on, guys. Do you not know? I mean, okay, yeah, this is definitely before the Streisand effect. Yeah, but, I was, was going to say, this is decades before the Streisand effect, but that's essentially what it is. But it's, <laughs> so. it's you know, it, it, it was, it's always been a thing, even though we didn't call it the Streisand effect, but it, it's, that, that, that's the basic idea. <laughs> or, or, or if you're at the edge and somebody tells you, don't look down, what's the first thing you do? You look down! Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, communists, it's, it's like, if you didn't want people to read it, you should have just ignored it and not even mentioned it. Like, they could have published it, and then it would have just, you know, maybe. But, you know, you piqued the CIA's interest, so you kind of you screwed yourself. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, once you get the alphabet soup of government involved, it's all bets are off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, can we use this to our own advantage? So, and then to top everything yeah. off, this had been a discussion for really since the end of World War II, but uh, in 1958, he was awarded a Nobel Prize, <laughs> which unfortunately he turned down because the Russians told him to. But his was it his son who accepted it for him in something 89? like that yeah yeah like you know posthumously like oh yeah i'm, I'm accepting yep. this because uh well by then the soviet union was like it was on it, it was it was uh yeah he's like dead country walking yeah and then they still wanted to, to, to deport him <laughs> kick him out those kick him kick him out of the mother country and he's like, fine, I don't like you anyway. Actually, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I make my life miserable. Yeah. I write miserable, I write book about misery. That's what I yeah. do. I, mm -hmm. I apologize for my bad Russian accent. But yeah. I, I have to make, I have to make fun of these. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then he died of lung cancer in 1960. So it's like, you know, he had all this great success and then he's dead a few years later. So, but, but it wasn't the firing squad. It was no, by cancer. (laughs) Yeah, cancer. Like it's not natural causes, but it kind of is, you know, it's an illness. So, anyway. So, yeah. So, yeah. Read the book that the communist government did not want you to read. Or go see the movie, or read it, or read a synopsis on it. Yeah, find someone on YouTube who's done like a fifteen-minute like TLDR for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it is a Russian story, novel. Maybe, it may be it may be thirty minutes, but still, it's still yeah. shorter than what it would take to read. <laughs> it, I mean, it it's still it's still it's still a cracking good story. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know. It's definitely definitely worth your time in whatever yeah. form you choose to. Yeah, well, it, it. if it, you know, especially if you're a fan of movie stars of that time period, you, you see, there's the there's a uh, there's an adaptation that that's got some familiar faces in it. So there you go. All right, moving on. Yay, to Boris. Yay, major, Boris. Major mark on the world. Yep. Thanks, man. Uh, Moving on to an American, Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle! Sports ball! Sports ball! Yes. So, a legend of the New York Yankees. He played his entire professional baseball career with the Yanks. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though he was not a New Yorker, he was from... Oklahoma, <laughs> and actually, he and Chauncey share a birthday. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, well, I, I was he... gonna say it's like if he was if he was from Boston, I would laugh. Yeah, no, he's from Oklahoma, <laughs> BFE, Oklahoma. Um, and uh, what's funny is his father um, named him in honor of Mickey. Cochrane, who himself was a Hall of Fame catcher, uh, for uh, he played uh, for the Philadelphia Athletics and the Detroit Tigers. However, Mickey was not actually Cochrane's actual name, that was a nickname. Apparently, his father didn't know that. Uh, but Mickey, <laughs> Mickey Mantle says, said later in his life that he was. He was relieved that his father had not known Cochrane's true first name because he wouldn't have hated to be named Gordon. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was Mickey Cochrane's actual first name. It was Gordon. <laughs> um, no. Um, uh, so he was a, an athlete starting in school. Uh, you know, he loved baseball obviously um but he also played basketball and football um he uh this is the start of a lifetime of injuries it's a wonder mickey mantle had the career that he had Mm -hmm. considering the amount of injuries that he had by the time his his baseball career his sports career was over so he uh 
gets a football scholarship um, from playing high school football. Um, he, uh, in his sophomore year, he was kicked in the left shin during a practice game. Presumably, this it, he was probably kicked with the cleats, and therefore the skin was broken. Caused him to get osteomyelitis, which is an infection of the bone. Ouch. Which, yeah. Which previously had been essentially incurable. Um, it 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 uh, spread to his left ankle. His parents drove him immediately to Oklahoma City, where he got treated at a hospital with this handy drug that was now available called penicillin. Yay, Yay! penicillin. <laughs> Which helped stop this, help reduce the infection, and kept him from having to have his left leg amputated. Seriously, infection before penicillin was no joke. Mm hmm. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. So, thankfully, <laughs> he was able to continue um, and uh, but switch from <laughs> football to, to baseball. Uh, where he uh, played uh, semi-professional <laughs> um, in Kansas with the, the semi-professional Baxter Springs Whiz Kids. <laughs> where he got scouted uh, by the Yankees. Um, he was uh, assigned to their, their Class D <laughs> roster. Um, and uh, did okay, but not as much as he would have liked. And at one point wanted to quit. So his father drove up there after he called his father and said, I want to quit. Um, and uh, convinced him to keep playing. <laughs> Um, you know, every every everyone who plays sports at any level if it's you know, professional yeah. college peewee you know all, all the way down there they all have that moment where it's like i want to quit i don't want to do this and then somebody comes along and either tells them okay it's okay to quit or tells them suck it up and you can do this mm -hmm. and you know and and thankfully kind of his, his yeah. yeah thankfully his dad was right because uh, he mm -hmm. improved and got moved up to the the C team um, and then eventually got moved up to the Yankees proper in 1951 and that's where he would remain for the next 17 years. Um. So um, he. <laughs> He was assigned the first time around number six because uh, they were expecting him to be the next Yankee star following Babe Ruth, who wore number three, Lou Gehrig, who wore number four, and Joe DiMaggio, who played, wore number five. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
But once again, he hit a slump. And uh, they sent him over to the farm team. And uh, once again, he called his dad and says, I don't think I can play anymore. I went out. So his dad drove over again. And this time, he started packing up his son's clothes and said, I thought I raised a man. I see I raised a coward instead. You can come back to Oklahoma and work in the mines with me. <laughs> Damn fighting words. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mickey immediately broke out of that slump, went on to hit a .361 with 11 homers and 50 RBIs. <laughs> so he got called back up from the farm league, this time wearing number seven. Um, <laughs> so... Um, and uh, during the 1951 World Series, uh, Willie Mays, who was playing for the Giants, hit a fly ball to right center field. Mickey, who was playing right field, uh, was racing to possibly catch the ball. Joe DiMaggio was playing center field. Joe DiMaggio was like, I got it. And got it. He made the catch. Uh, but in the process of trying to get out of Joe DiMaggio's way, Mickey Mantle tripped over an exposed drain pipe Ow. and tore his right ACL. Yeah, Ow. that that, 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 set, yeah, that which would remain injured for the rest of his career because they did not have the technology to repair ACLs at the time. ACL... I don't know how he was walking, because you tear your ACL, you basically, yeah, uh, yeah. It's these days that is that is a season-ending injury at the very least. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh huh. Even with the medical technology we have. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You once said panda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe DiMaggio retired the the following year uh, after the World Series. Uh, so Mickey moved to center field. Um, he was named an All Star for the first time. Made the uh, American League team. Um, he was. Uh, Uh, he played center field until 1965 when he was moved to left field. <laughs> uh, then he spent his final two seasons at first base. So, um, the uh, because of the infection in his left leg from football, when he turned 18, that got him an exemption from the draft. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And then he immediately, yeah, you know, and then he goes into the big leagues, major leagues, becomes this huge baseball star. And the Korean War was going on, and some people are like, um, why is why is he got a medical deferment from um so they ended up doing two armed force level physicals on him and they determined that yes he is 
medically exempt from serving in the military. <laughs> he can play baseball. He no mm. good for the military. <laughs> so. right. Baseball is not as strenuous as the military. Right. No. Yeah. Just saying, y'all. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um so uh so 1956 ended up being a very very good year for him um with 52 home runs uh 130 rbis uh the first of three major league mvp awards uh another all-star game <laughs> um so, uh, and then he won his second consecutive MVP in 1957. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but so, you know, mid point of his career, he's hitting like a high. So, you know, 56, 57, mm -hmm. this is the era we're talking about. He's hitting, you know, pun intended, really good highs. Um, 58, uh, he had another injury uh this this time he injured his shoulder when he he collided with um the uh player from the Braves during the World Series uh this is left left side um he he still did pretty well though um So, yeah, going into the late fifties, early sixties, he was he was puttering, puttering out. Um, well, by this time, he's like held together with duct tape. Uh, he's held together with duct tape and alcohol. Well, uh, <laughs> essentially, did they have duct tape back then. I actually don't know, but I I don't know. If they um, did, if they did, he was it was that's that's what he was made of. Yeah. 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 So he ended up uh, announcing he was going to retire in 1969. <laughs> um, Probably a good call. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the because of the all, all the injuries. Um, and um, uh, everything um the yeah he um was essentially being held together with duct tape and alcohol uh so he started drinking at age 19 um and he drank like a, a you know a fish uh, essentially mm -hmm. um he he admitted that he struggled um with essentially mortality um because his father died of hodgkin's disease at age 40 his grandfather also died young and um he had a son actually that ended up dying young of a heart attack um and he just kind of expected that he was gonna die young but he did we didn't know at the time he didn't know science didn't know at the time that the hodgkin's disease was probably brought on by the fact that both his father and grandfather worked in mines and were inhaling mm. all sorts of crap like lead <laughs> yeah that would do it 
yeah um so one of his um he he uh took the took the line from a, a football player named bobby lynn um who was a neighbor of his but he he would say later in his life he said if i'd known i was going to live this long i'd taken a lot better care of myself Uh, he ended up checking into the Betty Ford Clinic uh, in the 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 nineties, um, and um, got himself, uh, you know, clean. Um, but um, yeah, unfortunately, it uh, it uh, didn't. It bought him some time, but not a lot um because he went to the betty ford clinic in 94 um not long after he got out is when his his son day died of a, a heart attack um so um but in 95 they found that his liver was very very damaged with cirrhosis and hepatitis c which has come from alcohol abuse um mm -hmm. and the you know the liver cancer was inoperable um and really a liver transplant was going to be his best bet um which he did get um which is which is good um he ended right. up establishing the mickey mantle foundation to raise awareness for organ donations um but he eventually ended up at the hospital. They found the cancer had spread to his his lungs and all over his body, uh, un, un, unfortunately. Um, so um, he ended up dying uh, August 13th, 1995. So he was 61. But... Uh, he would go down in history as one yeah. of the best baseball players of of all time and a, 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 a Yankee great. So that's because he was sixty three. Yep. Yeah. But uh yeah. Oh. No. speed, Mr. Mantle. Yep. Well, uh, unfortunately, yeah, un un unfortunately, from one one alcoholic to another, uh, oh Jack Barrowack, uh, uh -huh. or his uh, Jean Louis Labrie de Kerouac. <laughs> uh, although oh, he was an American, he's he's in tech. He's technically an American novelist because he was born and raised in massachusetts his 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 he's french canadian by ancestry so um here we are with the beat for the beat writers mm. yep. i uh, i had to study beat poetry in, in college in one of my classes and i do not have the greatest relationship with this genre but we will proceed yeah yeah i can't i can't say i've ever read kerouac actually so I, I haven't either, but Alan Ginsberg held an interest to me. So, yeah, Alan Ginsberg is mentioned in here, and I'm just like, oh, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> him. Yeah, but yeah, he's 
Kerouac's kind of in the same. Although he he did he he was a novelist, not a poet. But... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but still, it's a thing. Um, it's a thing with me. So, yeah. Um. So, um, he was the younger of two children. He had an older brother named Gerard, who unfortunately died at the age of nine of rheumatic fever. Um, he also played football in high school and earned him a scholarship uh, to Columbia. Uh, but he broke his leg during his freshman season. And even once he healed, uh, apparently he and the coach did not get along well. So he remained essentially permanently benched during his sophomore season <laughs> then he decided this whole higher education thing wasn't for him and dropped out um and started living with his girlfriend and his uh, that would eventually become his first his first wife edie in new york <laughs> so um <clears throat> Uh, so he did serve in the military um, for a time because this was uh, the 1940s. Um, yeah. He was a merchant marine from July to October of 1942. He served on the SS Dorchester um, at, until it sunk during a submarine attack while crossing the Atlantic. Um, and several of his shipmates uh, were lost. He was not on it when it was attacked. Um, but some of the people that were on it when he was on it were still on it when it sank. Uh, so, um, so in 43, he joined the United States Navy Reserves. He served eight days of active duty before going on the sick list. Uh, according to his medical report, he asked for aspirin for a headache, and they diagnosed him as dementia on praecox. Um, uh, so the medical examiner reported that Kerouac's military adjustment was poor, quoting Kerouac, I just can't stand it. I like to be by myself. Two days later, he was honorably discharged on the psychiatrist psychiatric i can speak psychiatric grounds that he was of quote indifferent character with a diagnosis of schizoid personality huh. Huh. yeah granted during that time he wrote his first novel uh so wealthy well, enough to or healthy enough to put pencil to paper uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh so yeah i mean i mean schizoid personality disorder is characterized by a lack of interest in social relationships hmm. a tendency toward a solid solitary or sheltered lifestyle um i think that just makes him an introvert uh personally but you know, you know, whatever, military, you do you, I guess. Um, uh, he was arrested in 1944 as a material witness uh, to a murder um, by uh, a man named David uh, Kammerer had been murdered 
apparently David had been stalking Kerouac's friend, Lucian Carr. Um, uh, so while they were in uh, St. Louis, um, and according to Carr, um, uh, Kammerer uh, was just obsessed with him, turned aggressive, uh, and so Carr stabbed him to death in self-defense. Which, that in itself, yeah, sucks. But, yeah. yeah, you call the cops, and, you know, and hopefully the evidence works in your favor. Uh, but instead, they decided they should dump his body in the river. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, Carr dumped the body in the Hudson River. Then went to Kerouac. Kerouac disposed of the murder weapon and buried uh, Kammerer's eyeglasses. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. Uh, Today are dumb decisions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then Carr uh, decided to turn himself into the cops anyway uh, to the assistance of William Burroughs. <laughs> um, and uh, Kerouac and Burroughs were later arrested as material witnesses. Uh, so, uh, Kerouac's father refused to pay his bail. Kerouac then agreed to marry Edie if her parents would pay the bail. Oh, that's their marriage a, that, was that's annulled. Nice. Their their marriage was annulled in nineteen forty eight. Um, I was gonna say that is that is a that is an auspicious beginning to to your marriage. Yeah. Hey, pay the bail and I'll marry you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> yeah. Um. So and he lived with his uh his parents for a while in Queens. Um. Uh. Oh. You know, he he was still writing, although a lot of the stuff that he wrote pre-1950 did not get published until way after the fact. So, like, that first novel he wrote while he was in the Merchant Marines didn't get published until 2011. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, he had... Uh, uh, he and Burroughs would collaborate on a novel about the killing <laughs> entitled And the Hippos Were Boiled in Their Tanks, uh, but the book was not published during their lifetimes. An excerpt appeared uh, eventually in uh, Word Virus, a, the William S. Burroughs reader. <laughs> and then the oh, novel yeah. itself was finally published in 2008. Um, kind, of, kind of reminds me of O.J. Simpson, if I did it. <laughs> kind of. A little bit. Um, so, yeah, um, he, the, the town in the city was published in 1950 under the name John Kerouac. Um, yeah, he, he just, he was just he did you know he did a thing you know he got he married a, a second wife joan um and um but he he completed 
the novel that would be known as On the Road in 1951. Um, it was mostly autobiographical and describes a road trip that he took uh, through the U.S. and Mexico with uh, his friend Neil Cassidy um, in the late 40s and early 50s, um, along with his relationships with other writers and other friends and stuff. Um, Kerouac did not have a driver's license, so Cassidy had to do most of the driving. Uh, Kerouac finally learned to drive at the age of 34, but never got a proper driver's license. (laughs) Um, he completed the first version of the novel during a three-week extended session of spontaneous confessional prose. He wrote the final draft in 20 days with his wife, Joan, supplying him with benzedrine cigarettes, bowls of pea soup, and mugs of coffee. Oh, boy. Glamorous lifestyle, the life of a novelist, isn't it, honey? Yes, it is. This <laughs> um, kind of novelist. Yeah. Now, um, this is also the novel that he wrote in essentially one giant sheet of paper. Um, I will have in the show notes a, a clip of him on the Steve Allen show uh, where he, he talks about the, the paper thing. So, But essentially he cut tracing paper into long strips wide enough for a typewriter, taped them together into a 120 foot long roll which he could feed into the machine which allowed him to type continuously without the interruption of reloading pages wow which meant the manuscript had no chapter or paragraph breaks (laughs) because it was essentially on one 120 foot long sheet of paper Literature majors the world over are weeping. Yes. (laughs) So even though the the the, that three week extended session of spontaneous confession it was spontaneous confessional prose he was prepared. Uh, so you know y'all is gonna be prepared to be spontaneous. (laughs) Sure. Don't do drugs, kids. Benzedrine, Mm -hmm. bad. Um, No. No, don't do that. Yeah, so... uh, Yeah, so he finished the book in three weeks, then couldn't find anybody to publish it. Oh, gee, I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The the, the poor editor that had to sit down with that roll of paper. Yeah, really. (laughs) Well, that and... um, It was a very experimental writing style. It was also very explicit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it got rejected a lot because of that. Um, uh, many, uh, say, many editors were comfortable with the idea of publishing a book that contained what were for the era. Remember, this is 1950s. Graphic descriptions of drug use and homosexual behavior. A move that could result in obscenity charges being filed. Which actually did happen to some of his fellow beat writers. Burroughs' Naked Lunch and Ginsburg's Howl both got charged for obscenity. Um, although, according he to Kerouac... He didn't need to charge 
Ginsburg with obscenities for hell, just charge him with this is terrible and no one ought to read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know I just got done saying, like, you want people to read something, tell them not to, but oh gosh, it's awful. I had to read it in my poetry <laughs> class and I wanted to gouge my eyes out. Yeah. Hated uh, it. Enough- yeah. If you ask Kerouac, oh, yeah. On the Road was really a story about two Catholic buddies roaming the country in search of God. Okay. Okay. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but he finally found a publisher in uh, Viking something or other viking publishers or something like that viking something it's, or other. it's an imprint of yeah yes viking's been around forever yeah so viking press there we go um so of course yeah that was like his his biggest hit although again he would continue to keep writing um although joan left him <laughs> um during that time period although she was pregnant uh she still left him and divorced him she gave birth to his only child jan um and um he continued to do road trips and write and do a lot of drinking and a lot of drugs as they did and um he eventually moved to florida uh <laughs> jack kerouac florida man um i know you where, grew up in new york yeah <laughs> florida uh where he was living when on the road was published finally in 1957 um and he was immediately hailed as a major american writer um and him and his friends Allen Ginsberg, William S. Burroughs, all those became the Beat Generation. And I curse my fate. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just I didn't like that poetry class. Mm, they were the, the 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 professor just was obsessed with the beat writers. <laughs> Maybe. Oh. Um, anyway yeah so but uh yeah he would uh continue to uh continue to uh you know hang with his friends and create things but uh in 1969 while in florida um working on a book uh he suddenly felt very sick ran to the bathroom where he proceeded to vomit blood which is never a good thing. Nope. Um, they gave him several transfusions in an attempt to make up for the loss of blood. Um, they tried to do surgery, but it turns out that his liver was extremely damaged due to cirrhosis from years of alcohol abuse. Where have we heard this? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so his cause of death officially is an internal hemorrhage caused by cirrhosis, the result of longtime alcohol abuse. He also had an untreated hernia that he got from a bar fight. Hmm. Oh, yep. So, yep. 
is alcohol and drugs. Uh, <laughs> just say no, kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's becoming a kind of a repeating record. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on back to Russia with Sputnik. A little satellite that could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always, I always think of that line from Toy Story Two, where you know Stinky Pete the Prospector goes, "Stewards, Sputnik." Once the mm-hmm. astronauts were talking, people, kids only wanted to play with space toys. Yep, but I don't know that he was an astronaut. I thought he was a cosmonaut, but eh, I'm not going to quibble. Space Ranger. Um, well, everybody is Space Ranger. You've been to Space Ranger, Space Ranger. Space Ranger. <laughs> Universe yep. Protection Unit. Anyway, Sputnik went up. First artificial satellites. Mm-hmm. Uh, launched so, by the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Thus began the space race. Yeah. Yep. So, a Soviet rocket scientist in 54 proposed a plan for an artificial sal- satellite. And, um, essentially they were like, you know, this is inevitable in the development of rocket technology. You know, it just makes sense. We're going to have these rockets, send something up there. Um, meanwhile, over here in the United States, President Eisenhower in 1955, 29th of July, specifically 1955, um, announced that, uh, the United the U.S. was going to launch an artificial satellite during the next international geophysical year. Because <laughs> apparently calendar years are not sufficient. Um, four days later, the Soviets announced they were going to do the same thing. <laughs> now, now, see, this is this is the this is the only fun part of the Cold War. If we can, if we can use the term, because yeah. space astronauts, rocket ships going to the moon. I mean, how cool! I mean, yeah, that's beyond cool. Mm-hmm. So, especially for this time period. Well, so immediately the Soviets get started with you know the 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 best of the best that they've got as far as scientists and engineers and blah blah blah, all doing this on the DL. So that us crazy Americans have no idea. Like, we knew that they had announced that they were going to do it. But we thought we were smarter than them. And so we were going to get there first. Also, the Soviets had a really bad uh, standard of of safety. Mm -hmm. So uh, they were like, they rushed out. that, That too... It was a combination of cutting cutting corners and also doing like creating something that like of the bare it it fits the bare minimum definition of an artificial satellite essentially. Yeah, I mean they because they were they they were planning on doing like you know gyroscopes and uh, you know radio instruments and telemetry systems and you know refueling 
options and you know all of all of this stuff you know this the there the idea was that once the satellite was launched they were going to be able to do things like measure the density of the atmosphere and its ion composition solar winds magnetic fields cosmic rays Very all of ambitious. this all of this <laughs> stuff they, they were like absolutely we are gonna do this thing so they poured anything you know everything they had in in into it and realized that if they wanted to beat the u.s because if you remember children some of our earliest episodes of this series that there may or may not have been people on the u.s side sharing stuff with the russians and vice versa so mm -hmm. so is we you know we we you know, both sides thought that they were doing everything on the DL when that wasn't necessarily the case. But at the same time, it kept them aware of what the other side was doing, in theory. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. This is, yeah. like, the, the whole spy thing, I mean, the, James, the old James Bond movies, yes, they're over the top, and some of them can be kind of corny, but there's a nugget of truth in there. Yeah, they absolutely were spying on each other. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It just turns out, in this case, the spy the Russians were doing a better job of spying than we were. <laughs> well, you know, they, at they, least as far as this is concerned. Yeah, you know, Russia, or the Soviet Union, their biggest thing is we gotta look, we gotta look good. I don't care if it if it actually works, or you know, we can we can fudge the numbers, or you know, make you know the more propaganda we put out there. You know, this, you know, we don't care if it's truthful or not. We're just going to say we did it and they're just going to have to, you know, take it, take us at, at our word. Yeah. Because it's better, it's better for, for the communists to look good, even if we aren't really that good. And honestly, yeah. throughout history, Russia has a, has a tendency for this. This is where you get the term Potemkin village, mm -hmm. but uh, that's neither here nor there. Yep. So, uh, but yeah. So once I realized that they needed to um, pivot a little if they wanted to beat us out of, out the out the door and out the atmosphere, um, they um, like I said they created something that I think barely meets the minimum standard to be an artificial satellite. So instead of this crazy contraption with the gyroscopes and the blah 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 what we ended up with was Sputnik 1 which the name Sputnik Sputnik Odin in Russia means satellite 1 but it comes from the essentially prefix S which means together and Putnik which means traveler so really Sputnik means fellow traveler which i think that's kind of cute actually um mm -hmm. oh yeah i so, mean yeah but it, it, the picture of this yeah but like yeah. looking at the picture of this thing if you ever if you played pretty much any of the fallout games it looks like an ibot mm -hmm. yeah so instead yeah so instead of this big crazy fancy initial idea that they had 
what we got and what got sent up into space was a a sphere 23 inches in diameter this is essentially the little like um uh aluminum like a uh, beach ball that could uh pretty much it was it was only 23 inches in diameter um hermetically sealed with o-rings and connected by 36 bolts it weigh it had a mass of 184 pounds and um was made of alu- uh an aluminum magnesium titanium alloy it had two pairs of antennas um that were uh 7.9 and 9.5 feet in length um it was powered uh by three silver zinc batteries two of the batteries powered the radio transmitter and one powered the temperature regulation system the batteries had an expected lifetime of two weeks lasted 22 days so so yeah that's the uh that's a little satellite that could. Uh, Not sure. Mm. Oh, there you are. Okay. That's weird. Oh. Yeah. You okay. <laughs> Russians, I tell you. Every time we every time we talk about them, something weird happens with this show. Uh, they 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 know we're, they know we're talking smack about them. Apparently. Hey, hey, comrades! If you're listening, you're. I, I love you, your vodka. You smell... <laughs> your mother dresses you funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not Monty Python. We're not French taunters. No, we're not. I did say I like their culture. Mm-hmm. I just don't like their culture. It had a one watt radio transmitting unit inside. <laughs> oh, yeah. This thing was like the bare minimum to be considered an artificial satellite. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, hey, look, we did it. We're awesome. Neener, neener. And then it's yep. like, oh, and that's, that's, esen- and that's essentially how that's it went. Is, uh, yeah. Looks good to me. Let's send her up. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that's exactly happen. what it happened. That's exactly what happened. It went up 4th of October, 1957. And it essentially died on the 26th of October, 1957. So, because it couldn't be controlled. So it just, it went into orbit until eventually the orbit caused it to fall back into the atmosphere where it burned up. So. Yeah. Although there is like one small little piece of it. uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's in the Smithsonian, which I think is hilarious. Right. It's a, let's see, the metal arming key which prevented contact between batteries and transmitter prior to launch. That's on display at the National Air and Space Museum in Washington D.C., which uh, again I think is quite mm. that we have it. They don't. 
Well, depending on where it landed, you know, find your speaker. That is true. That is true. It's like, yeah, you sent it up, but we got to put it in our museum. So there. You know, it was and the least also, we could do after, um, you know, they sent that up and we were caught with our pants down, essentially, at NASA. So, yeah. but we, we, we eventually actually put, put humans on the moon. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a, yeah, they got out into space first, but um, we put people on the moon first. So, yeah, you know, you, you know, we, we may be behind the curve, but once we know there's a curve to get ahead of, oh boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look out. Yep. Yep. So you just poke the bear as it were. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know I know bear I know bear is your thing, but mm-hmm. now nah, we're taking taking And then President Kennedy was like, ha ha. I said we'd get a man on the moon by the end of the decade, and he was right. He was. So anyway, so that's what that's the seat. So there you yes. go. Sputnik kicked Sputnik. all that off, and uh, but we'll get we'll get to uh, putting the men on the moon. We'll get to all that. <laughs> yeah, that that I think I think that's an important thing that happened in history that probably should be discussed. Uh, <laughs> yep. I think it'll come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know it might. Yep. Uh, so. Well, and from one uh, communist country to another, uh, <laughs> in this case, China, with uh, our second to last, Zhou Enlai. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. So, um, who has quite the career that I'm not even going to try to even do a TLDR. His Wikipedia page is. Oh. <laughs> Very, very long. <laughs> um, I mean, he lived till the age 77. So, wow. Um, yeah, he and he would, worked in, in Chinese politics in some form or another from uh, like the 1920s up until his death, essentially. So, <laughs> so. Uh, the the T LDR um <laughs> is <laughs> um the sparks that, note version. Yeah, really. Yeah. This is the tweet link version. Uh, <laughs> uh is he was a a Chinese statesman and military officer who served as the first premier of the People's Republic of China and served under Chairman Mao Zedong um and helped the Communist Party rise to power. Basically, um, he kind of he he kind of softened uh, some of Mao's harsher yeah and and regulations, which yeah. I don't know how much that's saying, but I mean, if there's ever somebody who could be considered a decent uh, Chinese government official, maybe this guy. He kind of uh, is, yeah. yeah. If, if, if from what I've read, the if the people that knew him, um, or you know, lived while he was, you know, in 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 service to the government, that he was, um, a very kind, actually. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, um, yeah so he like was he found a balance between you know the 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 you know uh, traditional Chinese ideals and the communist sort of thing. So it's kind of like it, he he's responsible for for actually preserving a lot of uh, you know Chinese historical sites from mm-hmm. before communism. So for for that at least, I gotta give him credit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, of course, you know, his, his early education was in China, very traditional. Um, but then he went off to Europe and did work study programs. Um, so, um, he was, uh, so he got more of a well-rounded, <laughs> more rounded <laughs> knowing more of the world and how it works uh mm-hmm. picture uh before going back to china um so he was just really interested in just education in general so like he uh he spent time in london and in paris um so um went to Paris several times actually um so uh but eventually he ends up back in China and starts uh he goes um uh joins uh the political department of the Wampoa Military Academy um so um uh, yeah he was in in the military like you do um, this is in the 1920s, um, and um, there was uh, off and on <laughs> for the next long time. Actually, there have been uh, a Chinese a Chinese Civil War. There's been attempts at like coups and uprisings and stuff that never really quite were successful um especially once Mao Zedong got into power <laughs> you know uh it was yeah. it was commu- it was communism through and through um not that people didn't try but um and and he was there for uh, a lot of things uh and of course you know World War II again was a thing um and uh, Zhao actually worked alongside the U.S. Because at this point, um, uh, well, before the U.S., in the early parts of, of World War II, um, obviously the U.S. was not involved yet. Um, but um, there was there was there was spillover happening in 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 china that he was uh involved in um he ended up adopting two children that were orphans so that's kind of cool um um but then once uh once we decided we needed to get involved in world war ii the u.s because of pearl harbor um we come you know over to china and be like hey china so, you know, the Japanese kind of dropped some bombs on us and uh, we don't like that. 
Um, so we want to get back at them. And we think the best strategy would be to base ourselves in your country. And Zal was like, absolutely, that's a great idea. Come right over, bring whatever you need. Um, you know, if you can, if you can bring some, you know, maybe some, uh, some supplies for us too, medicine, food, maybe that would be awesome. Even better. Yep. Even better. And it is, it is worth noting that Japan was also trying to, uh, in, uh, conquer, you know, basically make China part of Japan. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when the U.S. comes in and says, hey, we're at war with Japan. You want to help us out? They're like, sure. We don't like them either. <laughs> Essentially. And, yeah. you know, to make it an even sweeter deal for us, Zab was all like, how about this? You can base yourselves in our country, but we got some of these guerrilla units of dudes. Any of your airmen go down, let us know. We will send them to go rescue them. How about that, bestie? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's essentially how it went down. <laughs> so. And then the war ended, and Truman, Harry is Truman, became president of the United States. Um, and, um, uh, G- General George Marshall was, uh, became a special envoy to China, and there was this whole trying to or- organize a, a ceasefire between, uh, the CCP and the KMT, which was kind of like their, like, uh, you know, the, uh, the other side of the civil, you know, the Chinese Civil War, essentially. Um, and actually it, the talks went fairly well, um, and then it didn't, um, so then the Civil War picked up again, and, um, yeah, and then, you know, (laughs) and then, you know, around the other countries around them were, you know, having problems too, which is, you know, spilling over, um, you know, like the, the Korean War. Um, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the Chinese were trying, you know, he was trying to convince India that it was totally cool that China had occupied Tibet. And... Yeah. You know. <laughs> um so it was stuff happening. Uh and then Stalin died in in 53 and that left um uh know, a little vacuum of power there for a little bit. We've talked we've discussed that though. Um yep. Yeah. Uh uh Zhao actually went to Stalin's funeral. Uh, Mao Zedong did not, um, because um, a- apparently he held a uh, a bit of a grudge because uh, Mao Zedong had offered had 
offered to meet with Stalin. Apparently Stalin turned him down. Uh, <laughs> although they still held a huge memorial service uh, in Tiananmen Square. Because uh, communism brothers, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah, they were they were they were all in each other's pockets. Yeah. Um so the nineteen fifty-four Zhao um traveled to the Geneva conference, which I think we know a few things about the Geneva and the Geneva Convention and all that. So yeah. Yeah. Um and then there was a Asian African conference being held in Indonesia in 55 um, that was supposed to promote Afro-Asian economic and cultural cooperation and to oppose colonization or neo-colonialism because no, none of those places like China ever colonized anywhere uh, <laughs> Um, so, but the reason that he appears in this, in, in this, uh, in the song in this particular year is, um, at one point in 1957, he was on his, uh, uh, Zhao was, uh, supposed to go to Jakarta for a thing from 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 hong kong to jakarta on a air india plane called the cashmere princess um he ended up not going on that particular flight um because of uh supposedly because of a medical emergency supposedly he had to have emergency uh emergency appendectomy so he ended up not going on this flight. Turns out that was a good thing because that flight had a bomb on it and blew up and killed 16 people. <laughs> and he probably would have been one of them if he'd been on that flight. Now, depending on who you ask, there are some people that think he actually knew about the assassination attempt and chose not to get on the flight, but let the flight go anywhere, anyway, and just was like, oh, those people are expendable. Which sounds horrible, but this is also communist China, so... Yeah. That may not have some... That may have some truth to it. And then the whole appendectomy thing was just a cover story. But that depends on who you ask. So... <laughs> um but uh yeah uh yeah but most of the passengers were killed uh there were three crew members that survived um so and then supposedly there was also a second attempt at his life at the conference involving a bowl of rice poisoned with a slow-acting toxin hmm. um so yeah he there was an assassination attempt, but he didn't die, obviously. Um, which was good because he needed to be around in nineteen seventy-two when then President Richard Nixon 
would come to Beijing. And they would discuss things like the Vietnam War. No, but yeah, I mean, like I said, his, his, just his Wikipedia entry is huge. Um, uh, but he yeah, passed away in, um, well, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer in November of 1972. Um, his medical team thought that with surgery and treatment, they had a high chance of recovery. However, medical treatment for the highest ranking party members had to be approved by Mao Zedong. Mao ordered that Zhu and his wife not be told of the diagnosis, no surgery should be performed, and no further examination should be given. Wow. Yeah. According to Zhao's personal interpreter, Henry Kissinger, who, he in itself, he's a bastard, uh, but still, Henry Kissinger offered to send cancer specialists from the United States to treat him. Oh, wow. It was refused. Probably huh. because they, the, the offer went to Mao Zedong and Mao Zedong was like, no. So by 1974, Zhu was really, really sick. And I changed my mind. Other people found out. And Mao Zedong finally agreed to surgery. But by that point, it was too late because the cancer had metastasized to other organs. So they tried various treatments and surgeries to try to slow the progress. He continued to work. <laughs> um but uh it it was a it was a it was a losing battle and he eventually uh, died uh in 1976 at age 77 so yeah and then Mao Zedong issued no statements acknowledging his achievements or contributions and sent no condolences to his wife So politics makes you do stupid things. Yeah. And and China's China's situation at this time with politics on steroids where the steroids have steroids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's just it's it's a mess. Yep. Just a also Mao Zedong is a jackass. It's a jackass. So, um <laughs> It's like, oh, he's got cancer. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, it could be treated? Ah, no. I don't think so. Like, what? Yeah. What? What? I just, what is the logic behind that? There is no logic behind that. What am I saying? Anyway, let's wrap this thing up with let's do the bridge on the River Kwai. Yep. Bridge on the River Kwai. The Another with Sir Alec Guinness, if memory serves correctly. Yep, yep. he yep. is in this one. This, this is a epic war film directed by David Lean, one of my least 
favorite people in the entire history of Hollywood. Because this is pre-Lawrence of Arabia. We will get the Lawrence of Arabia because it appears in this song. <laughs> um, <it> does. <laughs> but not for several more years. So, yep. Bridge on the Weir Kwai, directed by David Lean, who would go on to direct Lawrence Arabia. <laughs> Um, based on the 1952 novel written by Pierre Boulle, um, the, while the setting and the construction of the Burma Railway is an actual thing, the novel and the movie are pretty much entirely fictional. Um, but yeah, it, the cast includes William Holden, Sir Alec Guinness, although he was not Sir Alec Guinness at the time, um, and Jack Hawkins. Um, and um, uh, it was uh, originally scripted by Carl Foreman, who was later, later replaced by Michael Wilson. Um, both of them were on the Hollywood blacklist. So they had to flee to the UK to continue to work. Um, And uh, so, therefore, um, the novel's author was given the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. And then years later, both of those guys posthumously got their Best Adapted Screenplay Academy Award. No, <laughs> um, so, I'm not... <sighs> We've done this on Gold Standard, really. I don't want to rehash everything. So if you really want to hear my opinion on this movie, go listen to that episode of yeah, of, it's a of gold, of gold Standard. So um, it's a movie that uh, World War Two. It's it's a made. big historical David Lean war movie. So yeah. Yeah. They build a bridge and lots of people die, and it's really terrible. And then the bridge gets blown up. Well. Yeah, yeah, which is like the most impressive part of the entire movie, and it's all the way at the end. Yes. So. <laughs> Spoilers. So, so YouTube, YouTube that part if you're really into war movies, historical war movies. I mean, I haven't seen this one. I'm sure my dad has, and I'm sure he's like, "You really need to see this because it's a classic or something." But uh, but yeah, but it's basically one of those war is hell movies. And there you go. Yeah. And it won a ton of awards. It won seven. It won seven Oscars, including Best Picture, which is why we've covered it on Gold Standard. Um, uh, it won David Lean, Best Director. Alec Guinness won Best Actor. Best Cinematography, Film Editing, Score, and Screenplay, Adapted Screenplay. Um, so. Almost a clean sweep. <laughs> yeah, it, it had eight nominations at one seven, so. Yeah. Oh. Uh, looks um, like. It, it did set a record, at least at the time, for TV. Uh, because uh, ABC, with help from Ford, paid $1.8 million for the television rights for two 
screenings in the United wow. States. They telecast it uncut in color all 167 minutes of it. Ooh, Which would have been... In 1966. Video. Yeah, I was going to say, that would have been a big deal because there was no such thing as home video at the time. If you yep. hadn't seen this movie in the theaters, you just didn't get to see this movie. And, you know, they, you know the TV, TV networks are like, okay, what can, what can we show that will get people to watch? I know. Big, epic, best picture winner... But it's 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 really long, and how do we pay for the rights to do so? Oh, hey, mm -hmm. Ford, sponsor us, and they did it. So yep. So there you go. So first TV broadcast. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a big, a big freaking deal, especially mm -hmm. you know back in the day, three channels and and yep. one of them only comes in if you hit the if you hit the antenna just right. Mm -hmm. Don't move! <laughs> Don't move! Hold it there! Yep. Don't move for three hours. Yep. Don't scratch the nose. <laughs> yep. So. so there you go. That's that's the that's the uh, ABC movies family movie special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Hey kids, we're gonna, gonna watch a war movie. <laughs> Maybe yeah, NBC really. was, was, was airing Heidi as counter-programming or something. Who knows? Probably. Yeah. So, but yeah, oh, I'm... Oh, goodness. I... I nah, we're, we're good. It, yeah. It, this is Go the listen to the Gold Standard episode if you haven't yet, so... It, it's, like I said, it's a, it's a war as hell movie. Not those, my cup those... of tea. Oh, that's right. So anyway... That's the end of the 1957 verse. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we're kind of cruising along. Going to get into the 60s soonish. Well, 1958 doesn't look like a lot of fun. Whatever. We're good. <laughs> 1958 um, doesn't have a whole lot in it either. So No. As you, some of these I'm, that are on the shorter side, we may end up combining some of them, which that'll help speed it up too. That works. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm sure it's yeah. Because look at these, some of them like, oh, this year only has like two or three, and it's like, okay. So anyway, we'll 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 get through this anyway. Yep. So, if any of our listeners want to chime in on their thoughts on anything we uh, we talked about here, complain about my use of profanity and talking about some of these dickheads from history <clears throat> i mean sorry uh you can send us some feedback our our email address is fiveishfangirls at gmail.com you can also visit our website which is the fiveishfangirls.com that has links to all of our social media it'll have the show notes up so you can you know dive into history as you are as to your heart's content or not whatever you want to do um you can also help support the podcast through our patreon at our merch shop and other things again on our website and as always we be like aaron buy support. our shirts <laughs> yes <laughs> and then struggle um, to decide which one to wear first <laughs> yes then you end up wearing all of them that'd be really sweaty um yeah. 
but yes, we yeah. thank you for your support and your listening and your reviews, comments, feedback, all that great stuff because it it uh, makes makes our podcast journey that much more fun because we've got friends with us on on the way. I don't know what it is about these these, uh, these Billy Joel episodes, but it makes me a little punchy. So. <laughs> Just hope everybody's doing good wherever you are and stay warm if you are in the path of of winter's winter's second yeah, go I'm around. Kidding. Jeez. Yeah. This is getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yep. A little bit. But we shall persevere. We will indeed. All right. Well, we're a little smarter now, so uh, you want to ace that AP history test? Yeah. Or you know, if you're still into that thing. Yeah. With uh, that, we shall uh, sign off for this week. This is Brittany Bowser saying goodnight. This is Chrissy saying goodnight from Salt Lake City. This is Holly from Wisconsin saying good evening. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. The only thing that I took from Bridge on the River Kauai, and actually I didn't even know that that's what this was from because I learned it years and years before. The the song, the, the Colonel, Colonel Bogey March. Uh... You'll know it if you hear it, um, but uh, I think uh, if you're of my generation, then you probably know the uh, alternative version. Comet, it makes your mouth turn green. Comet, it tastes like listerine. Comet, it'll make you vomit. So get some comet and vomit today. Thank you for listening to the Five-ish Fangirls. Please visit thefiveishfangirls.com for details on how to further support the show, along with information on our nonprofit Fangirls Give Back. We love our Five-ish fam and appreciate all of your feedback, shares, and encouragement. Remember to keep letting your geek flag fly.
Sally Ryan.